Take a few minutes this morning to look at the Word of God. We look at Exodus chapter 5. Most of our time will be in Exodus chapter 6, but I want to catch the last part of Exodus 5, beginning with verse 19. It says, The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. Then Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to his people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But by the name of the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land with which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out of, from the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am a man of uncircumcised, of unclean lips. May the Lord bless and use the reading of his word in our lives this morning. When I was a kid, which was a long, long time ago, there used to be a guy at the mall that was in the center of the mall and he was selling these styrofoam airplanes. And to be honest with you, they may have been the coolest thing that was ever made. Uh, he, he would just throw that thing with a flick of his wrist. I mean, it was like four-foot wingspan. I mean, he would just flip that thing, and it would do. It would go, and it was like a boomerang. Whatever, he, he'd throw it out to the right, and it would swoop around back over here to the left. He would be able to do it the opposite. He would do 
curls and all kinds of things. I think one time he, he's put it up and went to the top of the mall, bought some stuff, and came back down. I mean, it, it was absolutely amazing. And I always wanted to get one of those things because it was the coolest thing. And you didn't even have to be paying attention. You just kind of flipped your wrist, and, and, and off it went, and it was flying like crazy. Well, at some point in time, we must have found one at a yard sale or something because, you know, whatever the $8 that it was for sale in the mall was too much, and so we got one for $2 or something like that. And, and so I bought it. And I could not wait to take it out into the backyard and just start to see the boomerang action and the somersaults and, the, and it would zoom around and, and do all those kinds of things. Well, I, I did it. Mine apparently only knew one trick. Uh, it was a nosedive. Uh, where the wings would fall completely off and you really only got to use it one time. Um, it was a little disappointing, to say the least. Uh, in fact, as I reflect on my life, I, I think it may have been the most disappointing thing that ever happened uh, to me in my life. And in fact, it was probably the most disappointment I've ever experienced, and I'm a Saints fan. Uh, so it, it, it was a disappointing experience to do that. We, we don't like disappointment, do we? You ever bought something? You ever brought something home and said, boy, this is going to fix everything that I've wanted. I've been saving up for this. I've been wanting this. Or maybe it was a spur of the moment. He said, I've got to have this because if I have this, man, it's going to be absolutely fantastic. But then as you unpacked it and you dealt with it and you used it, it was a huge disappointment. We've been working our way through the book of Exodus, and we've skipped most of the book of, most of chapter 5 this morning. The truth is Moses wishes he could have skipped chapter 5, because it is there in chapter 5 that Moses and Aaron walk into Pharaoh's throne room or wherever Pharaoh does business for the first time. And Moses, who has been thinking about this moment, clears his throat and announces to Pharaoh that God says you should let us go and you should relieve us from our slavery. And if you would just let us and all of the people related to us go, that would be fantastic. Now, Moses has had some time to think about this moment. I mean, God spoke to him in a bush. God gave him these miracles that he could perform. God sent Aaron uh, to him. God did all these kinds of things. And so Moses is thinking, well, if God has done all of these things and given me all of these instructions, when I walk in to see Pharaoh, it's going to go great. You ever have things in your mind that you just kind of, oh, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Well, here's the quick story. It didn't go awesome. Pharaoh said, what are you talking about? Who says I should let the people go. Do you know how many people we're talking about here? Do you, do you know how much manpower it is you're talking about giving away in this moment? And Pharaoh says, no way. And I'm sure Moses is like, wait a minute. Is that what he said? He was supposed to say yes. This was supposed to be a big victory. And Pharaoh is so upset about this. He says the only reason this happened is because the Israelites have got too much free time on their hands. And so it says that very day, the same day that Moses went in to talk to him, that Pharaoh announces that not only are they not going to be set free, not only are they not even allowed to take a three-day journey to do a sacrifice and come back, but they are to make their lives more difficult. 
And so they have been given an assignment of slave work to do, but instead of getting the supplies to make this number of bricks, they are no longer going to get the supplies. And Pharaoh makes it very clear. You are to do the same amount of work with less supplies. By the time this trickles down to the Israelites, it is just more oppression on their lives. The Israelite leaders are beaten when they are not able to produce the same number of bricks with less supplies. The Israelite leaders go in and say, Pharaoh, hey, Pharaoh, this, this doesn't even make sense. That This isn't fair. We can't produce the same number of bricks if you don't give us the supplies. Pharaoh says, man, that's not my problem. You clearly had too much time on your hands. That's the reason why you had all this whining and complaining and Moses came in here asking for a vacation and all that kind of stuff. He says, no, you're, you're not leaving and I'm not changing what you have to do and I'm not giving you the supplies. The passage of Scripture gives us the story that the Israelite leaders are coming out of Pharaoh's chamber Moses and Aaron are standing outside of the chamber. I don't know whether they were waiting to go in to see Pharaoh or waiting to know how the meeting with the Israelite leaders went. But the Israelite leaders look at Moses and say, this is your fault. If you hadn't stuck your nose into the middle of this, we wouldn't be experiencing this difficulty. He says, in fact, it is your action, your words, it's your fault that we are now a stink to Pharaoh. Moses is devastated by this. Again, he just thought, wait, God, I'm doing what you told me to do. And in fact, we, we watch this chain reaction. Pharaoh yells at the Israelite leaders. The Israelite leaders look at Moses and say, this is your fault. And then immediately Moses turns to God and says, why did you do this? In fact, if you look at the words, they're incredibly serious words. Moses says to God, why have you done this evil to these people? Moses says to God, why are you responsible for evil? He says, why did you ever call me? Why did you do this? You said that you would set them free and you have not done it. Here's, here's the moment. Moses is disappointed with God. He says, God, I've done everything I was supposed to do. I left the wilderness. I came back. I met with Aaron. I met with the Israelite leaders. I went in to see Pharaoh. I said the words that, that you told me to say. I did all the things that I was supposed to do. And it hasn't worked. I don't know where you are, and this may not apply to every single person. But there comes times in our lives sometimes when we don't just get disappointed with something that we bought or something that we planned. But we can get disappointed in life. And sometimes that disappointment can run so deep that we become disappointed in God himself. And we might even look at some of the circumstances that we're living in, some of the circumstances that we're dealing with, and say, God, why have you done this evil? Why have you done this? God, 
you promised. You know, people tell us all the time, like, listen, if you're going through a hard time, just have faith in God. Just trust. Just believe. Just have faith in God. But every once in a while, sometimes we walk through life and through an experience, and we look back and say, I did have faith in God. I did believe. And it's broken. In fact, it's more broken than it was when we started, God. Why did you let this happen? God, what went wrong here? And God, I don't know whether I can trust you anymore because I counted on you in this place. Moses is just absolutely devastated in this moment. So let's see what happens when we come to a place where it feels like faith hasn't worked. Well, I want you to see that God speaks to Moses. As soon as Moses is done talking, God speaks. And I want you to know that God will speak into our lives as well. Here are some of the things that God says to Moses. First of all, he says that the stage may not yet be fully set. The stage may not be fully set. One of the reasons why we may be dis disappointed or discouraged or even angry with God is because we don't fully realize that the stage is not yet fully set. Moses can look back and say, God, you promised this. You said this would happen. I've done this, and it didn't work, and it's failed, and my circumstances are worse now than it was when I began to trust you with my life. But God's first word to Moses is, now you shall see what the Lord is going to do. You see, all of those things leading up to Exodus chapter 6 and verse 1, it wasn't God's timing yet. You see, that was all the things that still had to happen, still had to unfold. God says to Moses, now, in this moment, this is the moment that you're going to begin to see God at work. All the pieces were not yet in place. You see, sometimes when God wants to do something inside of our lives, it's delayed. It doesn't happen as quickly as what we want it to, to happen. There, there are several reasons for that delay. Uh, sometimes what I want to have happen or even what God wants to have happen or God's plan for my life or for our life, it doesn't happen because I'm not ready. I'm not ready. There are some things in my life, there are some things in my heart, there are some things in my spirit that are not yet ready. There are still some things that I need to experience. There are still some things that I need to learn. There are still some things that I need to live through and wait through. There are some things that just mean that I'm not yet mature enough to handle what it is that he wants to do. There's no particular age that I suddenly become mature enough for what God wants to do. It just says, it's not yet time. And so sometimes we look and say, God, why haven't you done this? I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've asked that question. But why haven't you done this? Sometimes the reason is, I'm not ready. You're not ready. And so there has to be a passage of time for the pieces to fall in place, for the stage to be set before God can do what God wants to do. Sometimes it's the circumstances. You're ready, 
but there are still some external circumstances, still some pieces on the board that still haven't moved to where they need to be. It is just not yet time for that to happen. On Wednesday mornings, we have a Bible study here at church, and we're studying the book of Esther. And I've been amazed by Esther, who is in a crisis, and she is the key person to help rescue from that crisis. And one of the attributes that I've never really paid attention to with Esther before is how patient she is. You see, if it were me, I would have acted right away in the first 10 minutes that I knew about the problem. But Esther waits. And it seems like she waits a little bit longer, and then she waits a little bit longer, and I'm like, hurry up, do this. But the reason she's waiting is because not all of the pieces are in place yet. Sometimes we have to wait for the circumstances to finish lining up to getting where they're supposed to be. So sometimes there's a delay because I'm not ready. Sometimes the circumstances aren't ready. And then the truth is that there are some times where, where God's not ready. Now that, that's not to be confused with God's not able. It just means it's not His timing. The, the truth is that there's different clocks in the world. There, there's there's my clock, and then there's God's clock. I was trying to think about some analogies about clocks, and I was trying to think about the, the, the most accurate clocks in the world. And so I Google, you know, most accurate clocks. I, I think my understanding is that, that, you, that there is an atomic clock. And the atomic clock uh, functions in this way, that it loses one second every 100 million years, or about half a, ah, never mind, one second every 100 million years. I also think about some other clocks. Maybe you had one of these when you were in school. It's the big wooden clock, and you could put it on the desk. Sometimes the teacher held it up front, and when you had the, the, the learning segment on how to tell time, the teacher would just kind of turn the dial or push the thing, and she, you know, the teacher would say, it's now what time? And of course, if it was straight up, it was, it was noon, you know, 6 o'clock was easy, but then when you started to get like 9.45, those started to get tricky and stuff like that, but you could just kind of move the clock around all the time. Well, I, I will tell you that our God is far more like that atomic clock. Now, now, the atomic clock can't even come close to God. He doesn't lose a second in all of eternity. But my clock, it's like that school clock that you can spin and move forward. And what I would like to do with that is I would like to say, hey, look, school's out. Hey, look, it's recess. Hey, look, it's lunch. And I would like the kind of clock that I could move it to say what time it was any time I felt like. Now, if there's going to be a conflict between two clocks, which clock do we play with? Which clock do we pay attention to? Is it the clock that is so secure that it won't lose a second for almost 100 million years? Or is it the clock that an eight-year-old can come up and spin around and change whatever's the place? You see, I, I, I live with that clock. I'm like, well, God, I'm pretty sure it's this time. Have you looked? It's, it's, it's right here. God says, no, no. I know what time it is. And so what he says to Moses, he says, all the stuff that just happened, 
was that time. But now is this time. And what I'm getting ready to do, I could not do until those pieces were in place. The circumstances. Your own journey, Moses. The understanding of the people of Israel. It was not yet time. But what he says at the beginning of chapter 6, verse 1 is, now you will see. I also want you to see that no matter the circumstances, no matter the outlook, God is never outpowered. God is never outpowered. You see, back there in Exodus chapter 5, Pharaoh had a choice to make on how he was going to respond to this request. At the beginning here, it's just, let my people leave for three days do sacrifices in the wilderness and come back. And Moses' immediate reaction is no way. In fact, Moses' or Pharaoh's immediate reaction is, is no way. And not only does he say no way, but he is angry that they even had the, had the gall to ask for such a request. And his reaction is, listen, because you are complaining about the way things are right now, I'm going to make it even worse. Have you ever heard someone say that to you? You think you got something to complain about now? I'll really give you something to complain about. Anybody ever heard that, that, that phrase? Maybe you heard it in your house. Maybe you've heard it from, from your boss. You, you've heard it from someone that's just mad at you. You think that's bad. Wait till you get a load of what comes next. That, that's basically Pharaoh's response. Now, I will tell you that that, that just reveals the hardness of his heart. I'll also tell you, it's just an incredibly ineffective way to respond. It, it never gives life to the moment. In fact, what we see in Pharaoh's response here is what we see here is, is basically an abuse of power. Pharaoh says, you're already under my thumb. You ask to breathe, and I'm just going to squeeze a little harder. It's an abuse of power. Now, here's the problem. Nobody had more power than Pharaoh. Probably nobody in the entire world had more power and strength than Pharaoh. So the Israelites are discouraged. For a moment, they tried to punch up and tell Pharaoh the way it was going to be. And Pharaoh just stiff-arms them brushes them off as nothing. And, and so they kind of march out of there and say, well, of course we have no chance. It's Pharaoh. It's the Egyptian empire. There is no other force on the planet that is bigger and larger than Pharaoh. Of course we're going to fail. Of course we have no chance in this moment. It's Pharaoh. What I want you to see here I believe that as you read the passage, God does not deny Pharaoh's strength in any way. In fact, what he tells Moses, he describes Pharaoh's strength, he talks about his strong arm and his strong arm. But he says, with his strong arm, he will send you out. With his strong arm, he will allow you to flee. 
You see, it doesn't matter how strong Pharaoh's arm is if God is the one who directs it. It can be as strong and as powerful as anything that you can imagine, but God still has the ability to direct it. Here's the thing. There are some, probably some things that pop up and show up in our lives every once in a while that seem so large and so strong and so big that we can quickly get discouraged and say, there is no way over this. But we forget that God is the one that moves the strong hand. He is the one that moves that strong arm. So as strong as Pharaoh is, God is never outpowered. As strong as the circumstance, the hardship, the difficulty that you're facing today, God is stronger and he's never outpowered. I'll tell you one other thing as we look at this passage, and that is, as we look at this, we discover that the working of God is never isolated to the past. The working of God is never isolated to the past. We are a people who tell stories. Our stories are collected and they're in the Bible. And these are the stories that we tell of back in the day, this is what God did. At the beginning of time, this is what God did. In the lives of Abraham, this is what God did. In the lives of Isaac, this is what God did. In the life of Jacob, this is what God did. In the life of David, this is what God did. When Jesus did ministry here on earth, this is what he did. And it's the stories of stories of things that happened in the past. But God comes to Moses and he says, now I will show you what I will do. And with his strong hand, Pharaoh will drive you out. And then he says, Moses, I need you to know that I am the God of Abraham. That's a story from the past. He says, I am the God of Isaac. That's a story from the past. He says, I am the God of Jacob. That's a story from the past. It's strong, great words from the past. He says, but Moses, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I never revealed to them my name. Remember when Moses was at the bush, Moses says to God, who do I say sent me? And God says, I am that I am that I am that I am. And he says, this is the name that all generations will know me from this point forward. I am that I am that I am. And what God says to Moses is remember all of the things that I did for Abraham, all of the things I did for Isaac, all of the things that I did for Jacob, all of those things that I did back then, I am still doing things today. And he says, Moses, I'm doing new things in your life that I've never done before. I am just as active in your life today as I was for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And friends, there's a profound spiritual breakthrough that happens in your life when you discover that the God of this word, the God of these stories, is the same God that we worship today. The God of this power is the God who's present 
and engaged and alive and at work in your life today. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of David, the God of Samson, the God of Isaiah, the God of all of the stories is the same God. And if we ever come to the place where God is the God of yesterday, God used to do those things without understanding that he is a God of today, then we will have missed it. And I don't just mean theologically yesterday. Sometimes you and I can come to the place where we have a, what we call in church a great testimony. Oh, years ago, this is what God did for me. There was some time ago that God rescued me in this way. There was a time way back that God did this. And, and somehow we, we've, put, we've put a the end to our God story before the end of our life. And we assume that all the things that God was capable, willing, or wanting to do in my life is back then. God says, no, 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 I got new things for you right now. I've got things that I'm waiting to reveal and show you and do through you right now that I've never done for you before. He's the God of the past. He's the God of the future. He's the God of the present. And I'll also tell you, he's the God of the future. If you take a look here at chapter 6, listen to some of the things that he says. Beginning in verse 6, he says, I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God. I will bring you into the land. I will give it to you for a possession. God is not and so you may be discouraged, you may be disappointed, you may even be shaking your fist and say, it's worse than it was before I believed. But he has not finished working. And he would say to you, now, now you will see the things that I can do. So what does this mean to us this morning? When we read the passage a little while ago, I hope you noticed something. That as we go through this whole passage about all the things that God is able to overcome, all the things that God is able to overpower, there is at the end here, there are some obstacles. In fact, here in verse 9 it says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. A few verses later it then says, but Moses says, behold the people of God have not listened to me. How shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. God can overcome an awful lot of things. But sometimes our spirit can be so broken. Our exhaustion can be so deep. Our insecurity can be so profound that it puts a wall between what God is able and willing and wanting to do in our lives. And I would tell you that that's, that's not your fault. This is a sympathetic statement 
that it says sometimes the hardness of what we have experienced is so deep that we can't even hear the voice of God. Sometimes the exhaustion of our soul is so profound we can't hear that. Our own insecurity that says God couldn't do that in me is so strong we cannot hear what God wants to do. But I would tell you that we need to lean in at that moment and come to the place where our influence of the voice of God and the love of God and the graciousness of God begins to outweigh the influence of our broken spirit and our exhausted bodies and minds and the insecurity of our lives. It doesn't happen overnight. We, we, we've got that bitterness. We've got that exhaustion. We've got that insecurity that we swim in. But we have to just nudge our lives closer to the presence of God and let it just crack that shell of our broken spirit or exhausted body or our deep insecurities and just get close enough to the Spirit of God that it can crack open that shell and breathe life into us again. We do it by hearing from His Word. We do it by having a devotional life where we routinely stop and have a conversation with God. Even if it means that it feels like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. And yet we keep talking because God is there. We come and we gather and we worship and we let our guard down. And in time, the promises of God, the presence of God, the goodness of God will break the bitterness of our exhaustion the wear and tear of the hard stuff we've been through and our own insecurities where Moses says well you can't do that with me he can and he will let me pray for you